in considering the vital question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible, we have seen it to be the happy fact of biblical revelation that man now holds in his hands the key to the outpouring of God's forgiving mercy and kindness. Through the unspeakable sacrifice of the atonement of Christ, a way of salvation for every man has been provided. Man could make no contributions toward the solution of this greatest of all problems. As to how God could be just to all his obligations and at the same time freely pardon repentant sinners. But now there is great happiness among the members of the Godhead that this barrier has been removed. God has thus removed all obstacles to man's forgiveness and restoration that are within the divine power to remove. Now man must act to assume an appropriate attitude toward his great and holy Creator whom he has injured immeasurably. God is not seeking works of merit, for a perfect obedience from henceforth could contribute nothing toward making right his past disobedience. The past must be pardoned freely by the grace of God, apart from any credit system of merit whatsoever. And this God is overwhelmingly willing to do, but the Bible indicates that man must be willing to be completely transformed and delivered. So we have seen that man must first repent of all sin, that second, this attitude of repentance involves an assuming a humble attitude toward God, that third, he must be willing to obey the great kind God if reconciled to his love. We have seen that fourth, he must do this in a happy state of love and must banish all selfishness from his heart. Fifthly, we have seen that man must forgive the comparative trifles of his fellow men if God is to forgive him his great debt. And sixthly, we have seen that man must recognize that God is no respecter of persons and thus that God is waiting his repentance before pouring forth his mercy. And now in the seventh place, as a proof of the genuineness of all these attitudes, men must repent with such sincerity and earnestness that they will seek God with all their heart in a humble attitude of prayer if the barrier to the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy is to be removed. God does not need to be persuaded by prayer to be merciful, for he is merciful already. But God must be persuaded that we really purpose to forsake our sins before he can see it wise and safe to open to us his floodgates of mercy. In this process of humiliation and prayer, man comes to that full willingness to confess and forsake all his sins. This climax is the moment of repentance for which God is looking and causes joy to spring up in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, as our Lord Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. 
the convicting hand of God and the pressure of the word of God was heavy upon us. We were brought lower as conviction of sin increased, whereupon it became right and proper to bow the knee and seek the face of God. Finally, we obtained our own consent to give up our sins and cast ourselves upon the loving mercy of God as revealed through the cross of Christ. This was the moment of repentance. In this humiliation, the sufferings of Christ for our sins became more real through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Faith seemed most natural and precious. It, too, was an act of will under these lowly circumstances which seemed so right and proper. Upon this, the transforming grace of God was applied to our consciousness. This is real and glorious salvation. The glorious gift of the Holy Spirit within our hearts became a reality. These are the wonderful things that take place in the genuine conversion of every true child of God. But let us read some scriptures as to how man must seek the Lord in penitence if the limitation upon the exercise of the free pardon of sin is to be removed toward us as individuals. First of all, let us read from 2 Chronicles chapter 30, the last part of verse 18 and verse 19. Here King Hezekiah of Judah prayed for the people and laid down the manner in which the Lord had to be sought. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. So here Hezekiah affirmed that man had to prepare his heart to seek the Lord. This is the process of humiliation upon which we have been speaking. In the 25th Psalm, verses 6 and 7, we read about David as he humbly sought God for forgiveness and cleansing from his sin. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy remember thou me, for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. And then verse 11. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. Every sinner that is truly humbled before God feels that his sins are very great. And in the 32nd Psalm, verses 3 to 5, David describes a process of conviction of sin and his repentance. When I kept silence, that is, when he refused to acknowledge his sin, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the droth of summer, Selah. This describes a process of conviction of the Holy Spirit. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. This verse describes David's repentance when he agreed to acknowledge his sin 
and confess his sin unto the Lord in all due humiliation. This is the event that loosens the heart of God's mercy. And again in the 34th Psalm, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Nothing short of this true brokenness of spirit is repentance before God. In the 41st Psalm and verse 4, here we have David pleading for healing of his soul from his great guilt. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. He's becoming increasingly conscious of his great guilt. In the 51st Psalm, verses 1 and 2, David is pleading with God for forgiveness after his great sin. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He recognized that only the merciful act of God could transform his broken life. And in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So this is the very essence of repentance, when we are so broken down before God that we utterly confess ourselves as sinners in the face of his great love. In the 86th Psalm, verses 15 and 16, we have David's comment that although he believed in God's great mercy, yet he felt the need of earnest prayer for forgiveness. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength to thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Isaiah also insisted that sinners had to seek God, for he wrote in his 55th chapter and verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. So apart from this seeking of the Lord, in true humble repentance, no salvation is at all possible. Jeremiah in his 29th chapter and verse 13 affirmed that the only kind of seeking that would avail anything was that seeking with all the heart. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Oh, how many have gone astray here! They have professed to seek the face of God with no reaction. It is simply this, that they have not sought God humbly with all their hearts and with a full forsaking of all sin. Daniel, that great humble servant of God, gave an account as to how men ought to seek the forgiveness of God's great grace. In his ninth chapter, verses 3 to 5, we read, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, 
and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. And in verse 9, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. And in verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, Open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Thus does the Old Testament give instruction as to how men must seek God. But we shall continue in our next visit. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that Thou in Thy great mercy has made possible the free pardon of sin through faith in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. How we pray that many may seek Thee as we have read and find reconciliation and a happy fellowship with thee, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.